Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Moral Hangover Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Dom, and I'm joined by producer Victoria Bruno. Happy Mother Freaking Monday! You are the energy that I need on my Monday mornings. <laughs> I'm trying to be the energy. I just woke up from a nap. I texted Victoria, I'm resting my eyes. Meanwhile, I napped for like 45 minutes. How'd it happen? I'm surprised you were able to nap that short of a time. Usually Katie says she's taking a nap and she's gone for hours. Hours. It's like a three hour thing. Okay. Like I (laughs) go into hibernation. I don't know what it is. My mom, when I was younger and I would nap, she would be like, are you in a coma? Like, are you okay? Because I wouldn't wake up. Yeah, in high school, I used to come home from school around, like, 3 o'clock, and I would nap until dinner. I was like, I have to break this habit. Yeah, the cycle's hard. It's hard to get out of it. I, like, stayed up last night watching Siesta Key. So Siesta Key just started their new season. And it's one of these trash MTV shows, but I've gone through every single show. So the show is just so juicy because this guy who cheats on his girlfriend, the girlfriend's now pregnant. It's, like, this whole incest thing. The friend group, like, everyone gets with everyone. They're 23, 24. And it's so funny because I have some friends that live in Florida and they're like 30 minutes away from where these people are. It's just wild. So that's my new thing that I've been watching. I want to start it because I'm not a Bravo reality TV person, but I love MTV's shitty reality shows. They're my favorite. I like them too much. It's a really a problem. Like I last it's night. It's embarrassing. <laughs> so the reason I needed to nap was because last night I was watching Double Shot at Love with Polly and Vinny. So they're doing a second season of their dating show. It's such good trash television. But anyway, so I've been watching that and Jersey Shore. So they just had their family vacation season and Angelina got married to this guy, Chris. And you know what's weird? I had a dream about Chris and I have a weird obsession with people who have butthole eyes. So it just comes full circle. (laughs) I watched that new Pete Davidson movie. Did you? I watched it too. What did you think? I really liked it. I thought it was a little slow. And then I didn't know until the end of the movie that it's kind of based off of his life. And I was like, oh, I wish I knew that the whole time. I really liked it. I just thought it was a little slow in the beginning, like to get the plot moving. I felt like it was slow and it was really sad. I didn't think it was funny. I thought a lot of it was really depressing and I felt really bad for him. I know. Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't really laughing at it, but I wasn't crying at it either. I was just like, this is this is unfortunate. Wait, can you tell me what happens in the end? Because I couldn't I couldn't watch it that long. You know I love Pete, and I'm here for And him. you didn't watch the full thing? I just couldn't. It was so boring and slow to me. Okay, well, I'll take this out for the spoilers, but... No, leave it in. Leave it in. Okay, if you don't want to hear the spoiler, hit, like, the next, like, 30-second button. But basically, it just ends at liking... Dating Ariana Grande? What? What? Said, <laughs> what? <I'm> just got into like doing the firefighter thing oh okay for people who don't know what we're talking about the king of staten island it's pete davidson's movie it's by the directors who did train wreck with amy schumer that just came out june 12th so but it's a 20 dollar rental i'm like what the hell is that about yeah it was a little ridiculous if anyone's like oh should i watch it no i don't think no, so don't biggest waste of 20 dollars. it really got me thinking because I want to get on Raya, that dating app that's like all the celebrities, because I hear Pete Davidson matches with everyone on Raya. He's on Raya? I think I talk about this all the time, but if we ever meet a celebrity in person, the first thing we need to ask is, can you recommend, not me, but my friends? (laughs) I would love that. 
So I feel like since everything's opening up, we have to start talking about our drunk alter egos because people are starting to go to bars. People are starting to get drinks out at lunch. Outdoor patios are opening. And this means one thing. Bianca is coming out. And by Bianca, that is my drunk, crazy self. You know? I love Bianca. I think I met her once. When did you meet Bianca? I met her after you went to, I think, a Sixers game. And I met you. Oh, at- my God. Yes. I met you at the bar with the, that guy. But you were just the type that was just, like, so happy. Like, you now, but, like, 10 levels higher. Yeah. So I had a date with this guy. We went to a Sixers game. And then I think I was just so excited because, like, all of like all of my girlfriends were at this bar. And he was going to go with me. And I was so excited to see you guys. And I walk in there and I'm like, let's get shots! Green tea shots! And he's like, what the fuck? But, oh, my God, that was that was a fun night. What's your drunk so alter fun. ego? Mine is literally the same. I get way too loud. I start screaming. It's really painful because I look at Snapchats the next morning and I'm like, my voice goes 10 times higher. And people are like, Victoria, you need to stop screaming. And I'm like, I'm just so happy. You can't stop me. Wait, that night was funny, though, because his friend was hitting on you so hard. <laughs> yeah, he found me on Instagram and I didn't follow back and he didn't like that. But he was weird. I wonder where he is now. I don't know. Doesn't he follow you? Yeah. I don't look at his stuff, though. His friend stopped liking my stuff, but whatever. It's fine. He looks at my stories, so I know he still cares. Because if he didn't, he would mute that shit. Speaking of Instagram, though, there are so many bikini pictures that are flooding the space. And I need to know, as like because you have a boyfriend, if Andrew likes someone's bikini picture, like how do you feel about it? I didn't realize like girls feel very particular about this because we had this conversation I think like a month ago and you're like I would not like that and I'm like I get mad at Andrew if he doesn't like my friend's photos and what like, am you're I friend- too good of a friend at that point <laughs> well he, he texts me sometimes and he's like am I allowed to like this picture like I feel I feel really dirty for liking it I was like well if you don't like it that means you're not supporting it and like, you need to be the support, like you need to support the cause. Like she's trying to look good on the gram. Like you gotta throw her a like. And he's like, I feel so wrong for doing it. I love, I love how you want to support your friends in their bikini pictures and have your boyfriend support it. <laughs> You're I mean, not about it? No, I mean, I like it because I get that extra like from Andrew. But if I had a boyfriend, which I don't for a lot of reasons, but if I did, I would not want him liking other girls' bikini pictures. It, it depends. If it's people we know, I'm not bothered by it. But if he's going and liking, like, every Instagram model, I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Speaking of a whole other thing, Andrew, if you're listening to this, I don't even know if he is. My biggest pet peeve of what he does is not who he likes. <laughs> he follows back anything that he does follow for follower. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you don't know this person, and you are giving them a follow back? Like, literally can be, like, a spam account. And I'm like, this this is too much. So I, I'm, not a fa- I'm not a fan of his followers, who he follows, but that's a whole nother story. My ex would follow, like, all of these thoughty, thoughty girls. And I don't think that would bother me, the people that he doesn't know, but I think the people he does know. Like, if it was a threat. You know, there's always those people... When you're dating someone, there's always the people that they think that you're into. 
outside of the relationship. Either you have a history with, or you've talked to previously, or there's just something there. Yeah. Like him, if he liked those people's pictures, that's when I would lose my shit. If I had suspicions, I'd be like, what are you doing? Liking this person's picture at 8.35 p.m. Yeah, that's just rude. It's like, what are you doing? You know that will spark something. And the following page. Now that we don't have the following page, or was it called the following page? Where you could see who was like liking things and following things. That, I can't believe Instagram did that to us. That was just disrespectful. That was disrespectful. And you know why it was disrespectful? Because a man did it. A man runs Instagram and he probably made that decision. <laughs> you know, my favorite part about doing doing with that page was when I would wake up early in the morning at like 5 a.m. I would go look to who was liking things. Cause I'm like, who else is awake at this hour? <laughs> yeah. Or like last night, it would show like the night before, like in the a.m. hours, who's liking things. Yeah. Wow. I miss that. They got to bring it back. They probably won't. It's probably dead and gone. Just like. No, but that was like the best way of finding out if a boy was on Instagram or ignoring you. Oh, yeah. My sister always makes fun of me. Like, anytime a boy likes my Instagram, I'm like, oh, my God, he wants to marry me. I'm like, it's it's done. Like, where's my ring? He liked my Instagram. Like, he wants to marry me. He's into me. Annie thinks, Annie, my little sister, thinks I'm psychotic for saying that. But I I don't think you like someone's Instagram if you're not interested. Like, there's people who I see on Instagram. I don't like every picture. I only like people who I'm, like, interested in. No, it's just a me thing. I I get that. But at the same time, I think if someone puts out a really great pic and it's they like what you did. Okay, but if it's, like, a boy, if it's a boy, you're not just liking my picture, like my picture. Like, obviously, you want to marry me. Like, you, think you see was- potential in me. And you, that's why you're liking it. You're throwing the bait out there. Wow, I should really give Andrew a talk now. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, Andrew, girls think this. And you should stop. <laughs> or Okay, it has to be their consistent liker. If they're a consistent liker. Like, if they consistently like all of your pictures, then easily they want to marry you or... Well, the worst they want something to happen you're the consistent likers the second they don't like a pick you're like what did I do wrong I'm like what did I do to you are you not are you not with my brand anymore <laughs> or you know what drives me up a wall and I don't know about if we talked about this on previous episodes but if we did this needs to be spoken about again when boys hit on you on Instagram and send you your own photo so say I just I just posted a picture they will send my photo in my inbox and be like, damn girl, hard eyes, hard eyes. Like, stop being a fraud. If you were real, you would comment on it and let everyone see. But no, you are a fraud. Grow some balls and show the public that you think this picture is hot. Show the public. Let them know. You know what? That That'll clear a lane for you, my friend. Not the secret, oh, I'm going to go in their inbox and send them their picture. I've already seen the picture. I've already seen it. <laughs> I've seen it. I've stared at it. I've overanalyzed it for two hours, sent it to 20 friends. I've already seen the picture, okay? Anyway, today's episode, we are elated. There's a good SAT vocab word for you because we have Katie Bilotti. And Katie Bilotti, I followed for seven years on Instagram. She started out as an influencer and then she was working at L'Oreal. She worked on their digital and social team for I think about a year, a year and a half around that. And she recently left and now she's doing freelance. She does graphic design. She does content creation. She really has her hand in all different pots. Is that what the saying is? Yeah, she does it all. 
She does it all. I don't know why I'm trying to sound like I'm literally a mom. I'm hanging out with my mom too much. What am I even saying? But Katie is someone we admire so much and we admire her hustle, her drive. Um, I mean, from following her for so long, it's so cool to have the opportunity to actually chat with her and learn how she got to where she is because she's only a few years older than us. She's in her 20s. She's from Maryland. She was in New York. Now she's back home. So I don't know. It was just, it's so nice sitting down with people and like seeing them as like human. You know what I mean? Because on Instagram, you see them as like this star and it's cool to just have the one-on-one conversation, especially with someone you've Mm -hmm. admired for so long. Yeah. And she was just so open with sharing everything. Her voice is just so relaxing. I was editing this. So soothing. I was like, I feel good. (laughs) I went kind of interview heavy. I was really asking a lot of questions like business wise, because we're two young females who obviously don't want to be broke bitches. And we admire her career as a freelancer. So I was asking her so many questions about, you know, how does she afford living in New York? Because she's doing freelance. Like that's not a steady paycheck, but she's making the most out of it by having multiple streams of income and having multiple side hustles. And I think the moral of the story is everyone just have a side hustle if you don't already, because nothing's guaranteed. A hundred percent. So I don't know. I'm just excited for this, but enjoy our interview with Katie Bilotti. Hello, everyone. We are so excited today because we have one of our girl crushes, Katie Bilotti. You've probably seen her all over Instagram. She's a content creator. She has a podcast, Thick and Thin. She also has a YouTube channel. Let's welcome Katie Bilotti. Great to be here, guys. Woo! So how are you doing quarantine-wise? I mean, it's definitely been a big adjustment, I guess, socially and for many elements of my life. Of course, I'm not in New York City where I typically am based. And like, you know, it's been an adjustment. But I would say as a freelancer, not much of my work has really changed, which is kind of great. And I feel like I've been super busy, which is also great. So, you know, I mean, I'm making I'm making do. Of course, it's not the most ideal situation, but we're making do over here. (laughs) That's good. I love to hear it every day you're hustling. So I know you were living in New York. Where are you currently at now? Are you at your parents' house? Are you with friends? So currently, yes, Maryland. um, I'm with my family, which has been an adjustment. Um, So yeah, New York City, I'm still paying my my rent and, you know, I just extended my lease. So I do plan on going back. And like, of course, my heart is there and I, you know, want to continue my New York journey. And that's been something I've been working up to for years. So it just doesn't feel right to leave, even given everything going on. Um, But yes, I'm physically with my family, which feels kind of like I've regressed to high school. But I mean, that's a whole nother thing. (laughs) I know. I feel the same way because I live in Philly and I'm paying for an apartment there, but I'm based out of New York, like Westchester County area. And so, yeah, I'm back home too. Just re-signed my lease, paying rent for where I don't live. So it's a hard pill to swallow but then you're like so many other people are doing the same thing right now so Mm -hmm. I manage (laughs) I'm really trying to get to New York that's like my end goal currently I'm in Philly trying to get to New York what would you say has been like the biggest adjustment since moving to New York coming from Maryland Oh, well, so I went to college in North Carolina for four years. Oh my years. gosh, that's so, like all different types, yeah. types of places. Yeah. So I was, I mean, I grew up in Maryland. I've lived in Maryland my whole life. And, you know, my parents have have lived in Maryland their whole lives. Like my family's very Maryland through and through. 
we have Old Bay in our veins, as my parents say. Um, that's like what we're known for. Yeah, the crab seasoning. Gotta love it. Yep, yep. And I was like, you know what? I really want a Southern experience for college. I wanted to be, you know, in the Greek system. I wanted to do all that. So I went down south for college. And then, I mean, but still all the while, New York was always my end game. I think I was always just kind of thinking, like, I want to get every, like, a taste of everything before I settle. And so, you know, even in the South, when I was at school, it was pretty clear, like, New York was going to be my final destination, or at least for my my mid-20s, my early 20s, you know, who knows what will happen in, like, five years. But for now, it felt, I mean, before all this, it felt extremely right. But, I mean, I will say it has been an adjustment just because I, a bunch of my friends are from Jersey and, like, places close enough to the city where they've been a bunch. I didn't really have much experience, especially, I mean, the subway was probably the biggest you know, having to adjust to that and just the way of life where people really like people, you know, New Yorkers get a bad rap for being mean and whatnot. And I think people are just super honest, which is really refreshing. Um, but it's definitely super different than North Carolina and even Maryland, where people are super like just super like overly nice. And I like where in New York, people are just straight to the point They're They have places to be. So I honestly think it's more my tempo, honestly. Well, I'm ha- I'm happy mm-hmm. for you that you've been enjoying the subway so far. Do you have any cringe <laughs> subway stories you can tell us? Because a couple of my friends live in New York and they will just, pre-COVID, they would text me the craziest things of what goes down the subway. Ugh, I mean, I just think there's so many stories I've heard as well and like videos I've seen and just like crazy stuff. I would just say it's definitely like you really don't know what you're going to get. Like someone, I, people really invade your personal space. Um, like they, you know, it's just one of those things where even when I'm doing it alone, like I'm just super like cautious. I've gotten like hit on on the subway before and it's like super uncomfortable because you can't leave. It's like you're kind of forced to stay on there. Yeah, that's my worst nightmare. Yeah, why you, like, headphones, you headphones are your savior. Yes, yes. I never am on the subway without headphones because honestly, you can just <laughs> pretend you're like, oh, I can't hear you. Yeah, exactly. So let's dive in a little bit. So I feel like your New York journey started when you started working at L'Oreal. When I was looking into it post-grad, I was finding out that it was so hard to get into. So mm-hmm. how did you how did you get that job? How did you land it? Yeah, it's definitely, it's extremely competitive. I have friends that are constantly reaching out saying like, how, like I, I'm applying for this position and like, I'm just wondering how competitive. And, you know, it's one of those places where it is a dream for many people, including myself. I always really was interested in the beauty industry and I, I'm, you know, I've been passionate about makeup since I was really young. So it just seemed like a no brainer. And the way that I kind of navigated that or like got the job was, I mean, honestly, it had a lot to do with just my background of being kind of an influencer before influencer was even a word. I started on YouTube when I was 14 in 2009, when not many people my age were creating content. Like there was a lot of people watching, including myself. And I, I grew up watching these older girls older guys that I really looked up to. And I felt like there wasn't really any younger people like my age in the space that were going through things that I cared about. Like, okay, what do I wear to homecoming? Or like, how do I, you know, get a guy to like me or just these things that I was, that was so important to me back then. Of course, now I'm like, that's ridiculous, but it was so important Mm -hmm. to me. And I'm like, I wish that there was someone talking about this. So I kind of started my presence from that. 
you know, of course have, you know, gone into Instagram. I have really, my platform has kind of, it's grown, it's bled into a lot of different areas. And, you know, as I was doing that, brands were starting to take notice, one of them being L'Oreal. And I became a part of their program, their ambassador program. I was the youngest person in their ambassador program. We worked really well together. I think my followers were super receptive of the product. So it was kind of a win-win. Like I really liked working with them. They, you know, saw that I was really portraying their product in a great way. So we continued working together for like two years while I was in college. And I became really close to the team. We went to, they took me to the Golden Globes. We went to Paris, London. This is like the dream. Yeah. And I, but I was an influencer at the time. So I didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. Like I was being almost, I don't want to say used, bad word, but they were, we were kind of, they, I was kind of like one of the faces of the brand, but I had no idea what was going on behind the scenes. And so it was, you know, one of those things where it was just so mysterious and magical to me. And I was like, I really want to know. Like, what do they like when they're sitting at a round table discussing like the deliverables for an influencer? Like, what does that look like? And like, I was just so intrigued by it. So actually junior, when I was a junior in college, I was kind of in the phase where it's like, you're looking for an internship. Like you're not quite ready to get a full-time career yet, of course, because you have to go back to school, you know, in the fall. Mm -hmm. So I was looking for an internship. And actually, so I was considering, like, I was trying to make it work with L'Oreal and they were, we were trying to work on an internship together. It just, to be honest, it didn't work out. I was bummed about it. So I was like, darn, I like, wish I could, you know, of course, intern. But then I didn't really, I, I realized later on how kind of insane that is to assume because it's so hard to get a job there. Like, it's so hard to get an internship there. It's like, whatever. So I didn't get the internship and I was just so determined to get a full-time job after college with them anyway. So I was like, just kind of doing, you know, playing my cards right senior year. And luckily, I don't know like what it was. I think it was probably partially my determination with everything and just kind of staying in touch and really doing all of my, I was still working with them as an influencer senior year. So I was still producing content and I was just so determined to get a job that I was creating the content, like the best of my ability. Not that I don't do that with other brands, but I was just especially passionate about their posts and I think the team kind of took notice I became pretty close with the social media team because like I said we were going to like London they sent me to Coachella like we went to a lot of different you know events where they really trusted me and so at that point I got a a random call on Saturday morning like a Saturday like I had gone out the night before oh my god those are the worst I was hung over it was 8 a.m on a Saturday like come on anyway I get a call from the social media director at L'Oreal and I knew her voice. Like I had her, I don't think I had her contact saved or something was wrong there, but I, so I didn't really, I picked up and she was like, Hey, like it's so-and-so like, um, this is super like off the record. Just letting you know, um, there's going to be a job posting for this. You know, she kind of basically like gave me a heads up that my dream position was about to open up and that I should apply. And I was like, wow. okay. <laughs> so, I mean, of course it was like, it wasn't like I was handed the job. Like I had to go through the application process like anyone else. Of course it did help that they already all knew me, you know, and they knew my work ethic and whatever. And I, I went through the the normal hiring process, which was honestly very, like it was hard because they really vet their, you know, their employees and whatever. So I got the job and it, it just honestly felt like, like, of course it was a dream job. And I like looking back, I know how lucky I was to have gotten it there was definitely an element to it where I was just so determined to get it that I didn't really realize what would happen when I got it and that I'd have to like do, you know, go to a nine to five job and like do things I didn't really want to do. 
So, you know, that's that's a perfect segue. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, when I graduated college, I got to the point where I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to start working. Mm -hmm. At least that's what I thought to myself. Because I think when you're a senior at a certain point, you're like, okay, I'm like kind of over this. It's like the same thing all the time. So then when I started working and then I got into it and I realized, I was like, oh, wow, this is a grind. Like This is a real mm-hmm. grind. And yeah. during the week, I'm exhausted. And when nine o'clock rolls around, I'm in bed. And I never thought that would be me because I'm so used to staying up late and doing this and doing that. So what was working a nine to five like for you? Yeah. I mean, I, I think the first thing I want to say is a nine to five is never really a nine to five. It's an eight to seven or even if you're not physically in the office, you're thinking about work like all the time. If you are like really invested in your job slash you want to do a good job, you want to be promoted, like you're constantly thinking about work. And it's Especially more than- in the New York space. I feel like New yes. York extra competitive. Yeah. And, and I feel like, I mean, I'm also surrounded by extremely driven people. So if my friends are thinking about work, it kind of causes me to think, oh, wait, I should probably be thinking about it too. It just became one of those things where it was a really huge time investment, a huge creative investment, because I mean, I did, while I was doing L'Oreal, I was also balancing all of my other stuff. So I was doing YouTube, I had started a podcast, I was doing Instagram, still doing sponsored posts. The only thing is I couldn't work with beauty. So beauty is in like cosmetics, hair, skin. I couldn't work with any of those brands moving forward because I signed documents with L'Oreal, like a non-compete sort of situation. Mm-hmm. So it did honestly severely limit who I was working with, like, you know, in terms of just brands I was promoting on my channels, but I was still doing a lot in that regard. So, you know, it became one of those things where I, I, after I got home from work, you know, it was, I wasn't done working because I was just moving on to my next job basically. And at that point I was just really creatively drained from giving all of my creative energy to my day job. And it just felt like I didn't have enough left for my other things. And I was getting to the point where I was going to have to make a very like uncomfortable decision about either stopping my YouTube videos, stopping my podcast, stopping all that, or stop, you know, quitting L'Oreal because it was really affecting me mentally, I think. So how long were you doing that all? Yeah. Uh, So I was doing that. I was at L'Oreal in total for a year and a half before I left. I probably knew about 10 months in to working at L'Oreal that I was really, you know, I, I started to consider leaving, which was a really tough decision because honestly, L'Oreal is a dream job. I look back and I think about how lucky I was to work there and how amazing everyone was. It was such a hard decision. I think it's an easier decision if you don't like where you work. And it was a really uncomfortable choice, but it was something I had to do because it was, I could not have carried on like that much longer. Like I was becoming one of those people where I was complaining more than I was just talking about normal things. Like my friends, I would always be apologizing for being late. I would be apologizing for missing things. I would be just complaining about work all the time. And it was just so toxic. So a question that may be a little personal, because I know a lot of people who are listening are probably thinking, how did you have, you know, enough money to go on your own yeah. living in New York? And I know you put up a YouTube about this, how you have eight different streams of income. How did you kind of get that all together before you left? Like, how did you, I guess you could mm-hmm. say, put your ducks in a row? I feel like a mom saying that. So that when you <laughs> left, you know, you were lined up and like not broke. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I have kind of like a, like a three-step plan sort of situation that I've, I've talked about a few times online um, where, so basically what I did, it was a very strategic process. I am not like, I think it's a very romantic thing to be 
spontaneous. I am not one of those people. I am very like, <laughs> I'm a planner. Yes. I'm calculated. I'm spontaneous when I, you know, when I need to be, when it's right, when it's social, when it, mm-hmm. there's, there's no real risk involved, but when it comes to, you know, being, being able to financially support yourself as a young woman living in New York city, you need to be very calculated. Mm-hmm. So it was probably six months before I actually quit my job and like had the conversation put in my two weeks that I started planning. And it felt very like, you know, sneaky of me uh, to be, you know, going to work every day, knowing I was kind of gearing up for this, but it's something where I needed to look out for myself and I couldn't be rash about it. So six months before I quit, I started just really aggressively saving money. In New York, it's like, it's so easy just to blow money on cocktails and on shopping that's not really necessary. And like, I just started kind of operating on budgets that were really hard for me to set, you know, and having to be super smart about how much alcohol I was buying and like, whatever, for six months. That being said, I also was, you know, just working a lot more on my other stuff. I set up some new income streams I didn't have before. I started kind of increasing my podcast monetization rates. I started just, you know, making all these little changes to my day to day. And I started aggressively saving. I made sure that I had five months of rent and just whatever my my life expenses, you know, like I've kind of, I looked through all of my bank statements and I figured out how much I needed each month to survive in New York. And I put away five months of that and then some. I basically had two full-time jobs. So I was able to do that. For people that don't have a YouTube channel and all the other things, I just think it's important to number one, just start saving your money and maybe not going out as much, maybe not shop, you know, buying a new dress every week or something. I don't know. And then also setting up another income stream. Like you said, I have eight income streams. That was not always the case. When I first started at L'Oreal, I did not have that many. And I just started kind of introducing, like, you know, kind of narrowing in on my strengths and monetizing them. So I had that. And then the second thing that I did was I met with a bunch of freelancers in New York City. I got dinner with them. I bought them coffee. I was like, can I just ask you some questions? And you would be really surprised how many people are just so eager to meet other people with similar interests to them that they will like meet up with you and give you some tips that you would not otherwise have heard or known. So I met up with some people. It was super intimidating because, of course, you don't know these people. You don't want to act like you're just like using them. So there's Mm -hmm. a delicate way to do it. But you'd be I mean, I as a freelancer would not mind getting coffee with someone just to, you know, give them show them the ropes. Like as long as I don't know, because you never know how that that person could turn back around and help you someday. So I really think it's something it's a no brainer. So that's the second thing that I did. I learned a lot from those people. Then the third thing that I did was ensure that I had clients set up like people I knew, like I knew where my next paycheck was going to come from after I was cut off from L'Oreal. I knew like even not from my YouTube stuff, not from my, you know, my other things, but from freelancing, I had several clients lined up that were already super eager to work with me for graphic design, for video, for like the things that I do. So those were my three things that I did. Sorry for rambling. <laughs> no, that is so impressive because I, I mean, I feel like a lot of people come out of college, they struggle with budgeting. I mean, I'm currently struggling mm-hmm. with it, but I feel like quarantine's given me time to kind of work on it because I, I'm not going to buy anything. Where am I going to go? Right. Right. Yeah. Quarantine has helped so much with budgeting right now. I feel like I'm saving so much. And now that things are starting to open again, I'm like, oh, well, there goes my money. <laughs> So you mentioned, you know, not going out as much and saving. 
How do you do that with friends? Oh my God, it was so hard. I mean, especially in the city, because I feel like people go out all the time in New York. Like it's a Monday through Sunday type of deal. Oh yeah. Especially for me. My social life was already so minimal because of my two jobs. I didn't want that taking any more hits. But basically, I mean, what I did was first, there's just honestly, like there's tiny little things you can do that you would not believe, like make such a big difference. Like number one, pregame, like heavily before you go out. (laughs) Don't like, honestly. I have heard that tip before. I do invest in Yes. (laughs) Buy a handle of Tito's, rip rip some shots. And then you will only like need to get maybe like one or two drinks out, like probably one. I don't know. I also was just really utilizing the whole like having people buy drinks for me, like guys. I was like, hey, like <laughs> I was like, this is an excuse for me to try to flirt. Anyway, I, another thing that my friends actually, you know, a bunch of us do is we bring cash out. We don't bring our, I mean, of course we have our cards for emergency stuff, but if you bring cash out, it, it limits how many drinks you can buy, like physically. And sometimes you are just swiping your card and you don't realize how much money you're spending. So you can honestly set a budget with literal, just get cash out of an ATM and only use that. Like that was super helpful too. And then, I mean, of course it's just like suggesting with your friends, you know, someone's suggesting a really nice sushi restaurant or something like just suggest like, well, there's this other place I heard of that's significantly cheaper. And honestly, a lot of my friends were super like, they were thankful that I was suggesting you know, cheaper places, because some people are just too afraid to speak up about that sort of thing. Like even in a friend group, you know, they don't want to act like the cheap one. But yeah, my goal was more important than spending a ton of money, which is really hard in New York. But you know, yeah. So touching on friends, because you were from, you went to college in North Carolina, you're from Maryland, you're in New York, how did you make friends post grad? And I feel like this sounds like such a simple answer. But I think people forget how hard it is to make friends in the workplace. Because you're like grinding it out all day. So what was something that kind of helped you make friends in New York? Yeah, I mean, and honestly, so a bunch of my friends that I actually, that I made in college, um, like I said, they're from Jersey, a bunch of them, a bunch of them are from Massachusetts, just like up north already. So they, a bunch of them already had plans to be in New York post-grad, which was very convenient for me because now I have them around. They work nine to five. I work, but I can, you know, kind of, I'm out and about in the city because I am a freelancer. So it's nice having other friends that are also freelancers and people that I can, you know, get lunch with, etc. And I've made all of those friends and it was not easy. Okay. I mean, it was, but it took a lot of courage and it took a lot of just awkwardness. Yeah. I would and say, a lot of effort too. People don't yes, realize how much effort yes. it takes. You actually have to try. Yes. And you really have to maintain friendships. You can't just like call them when you need something, when you need someone to get lunch with, whatever. But like when I was at my corporate job, I was actually working with a lot of older people and they're not like old by any means, but older than I was 23 when I started there. And I just felt like the youngest person I felt like, and it was even kind of the culture where no one really like went out and got drinks together. Like it wasn't one of those jobs where it's super young and everyone's friends. Like I have some friends that have corporate environments like that. I did not. And I was kind of bummed about it. I was like, darn, I thought I'd like have kind of guaranteed friends from work. But I didn't, I mean, of course we were friendly and like, you know, but I just, I didn't feel compelled to go out with them on the weekend, you know? So I had to work to basically what I did was, I mean, like I said, a bunch of the freelancers that I met with, you know, while I was trying to quit my job ultimately have become my friends. I think it's all about just knowing that other people 
just they they want to be your friend too okay it's not just you like just you know out there like you always think that everyone has their friend groups like locked and loaded like they're not accepting any new people or whatever but you'd be surprised i think people are really looking to expand their circles and it all it really takes is sliding in someone's dms okay and it sounds awkward but like thank it god it sounds sexual too but it's not it's right? just friendly Yes. And like, I mean, with the, with the technology we have, we have to take advantage of it. You are literally clicks away from friendship, you know? And I think it's all about just finding people. It sounds so cliche and so mom-like with similar interests to you because then bam, like you're already, you're friends. Like upon your first meeting, you are friends. Like you can talk about the same thing, you know? And I don't know. That's just how I did it. So I think with the DMs, people underestimate them. Like for us, half the guests we've been able to get have been through Instagram DMs. Yeah. Yeah. So the power of Instagram DMs for any area of life, truly (laughs) remarkable. Truly. Another big thing that I've noticed, at least for myself with making friends, because I can tend to be more shy, say yes to happy hours, even if you're like, no, please, I do not want to go. It's always worked out whenever I've gone to a work happy hour. It's not just to like get drunk. It's there to like connect with people and talk when like you're not just thinking yeah. about work and it might be awkward at first and it probably will oh, be totally yeah, awkward. They, <laughs> they probably wine. yes yes alcohol courage but not too much because you don't want to be known as the girl that was like you know way too drunk to even talk yes but. one at maximum yep mm-hmm. so let's dive into your podcast thick and thin yeah what kind of inspired it because I actually was listening to it the other day and you do such a good job painting a picture for the listeners. You were talking Uh, about life pre-COVID, going out to bars, hanging out with your friends and thinking nothing of it and how everything's just kind of shifted and how we're kind of in this like social anxiety phase because no one knows if they should go out, if they go out, who's Mm -hmm. infected, you know, all of that. Yeah. So the podcast, I mean, honestly, being in New York, even for just a couple of months back, you know, after college really inspired the podcast. It was kind of the right time, I would say, because, you know, there were podcasts out, but not a million of them. So I felt like I was kind of entering a space that was a little untapped. You know, it's called Thick and Thin. I just really wanted a place where it was just a spoken diary of my thoughts. I have YouTube where I also do talk about a lot of things, but I feel like it's very produced. It's very edited. And I wanted my podcast to be as raw as possible. I do have light notes and kind of a structure to it because otherwise it would just be one big ramble, which no one can really sit through. But it definitely, it's kind of, in a nutshell, I cover the highs and lows of life, the thick and the thin of life, specifically through my lens as a New Yorker, a 20-something girl who is navigating the New York City dating scene in a different sort of era. Like, you know, Carrie Bradshaw, was a fictional character. She lived a certain life that I just felt like when I got to New York and I was living it, I was like, wait a second, Carrie Bradshaw lied (laughs) in a few ways and I need to correct it. I need to tell my story and do so every single week about different things. So I talk really about a lot of different things. No episode is the same as the one before it. And it's just my favorite little thing that I do, honestly. It's a beautiful work. I want to call it a work of art, honestly, because you're so tactful in how you do it. And you talked about post-COVID dating. Where do you think that's going to go? Because I know you mentioned there's two extremes. There's the people that are going to be like, I'm never having a boyfriend. And there are the people who 
you know, are just going to go crazy and hook up with everyone and have it be like their last hurrah or something. So where do you see it going? I think people are going to really surprise us. And honestly, I think it's going to be, this is kind of just my prediction, but I feel like the people that before COVID were super, you know, just hooking up with random people all the time, totally fine. I mean, I'm not like saying it's a bad thing, but just, you know, having a lot of one night stands, having a lot of situations where they're hooking up with, you know, one guy one week and having very short flings and on to the next person. I think those people honestly may be really reevaluating their life right now. I know I was like that, just kind of going through a lot of flings because I was very business oriented during, you know, last year, especially going freelance. I was really not looking for a serious relationship. And I think now, like the people like that are going to maybe post COVID approach their life in a little different way and maybe not really focus on hooking up with a lot of people. But then I think also there's some people that were in really long-term relationships before all this started and had a really bad breakup during COVID. I've seen so many breakups during COVID, celebrities and my, you know, people I know personally alike. I think those people might be like, you know, I'm kind of interested in hooking up with some new people after COVID, you know, and like, maybe there's more out there for me. I really think it's going to very much depend on who, you know, who you are and really what you've been thinking about during COVID, because some people have been doing some very deep thinking I've been finding very big reevaluations of their priorities. And honestly, I think it's really going to surprise us. I think it's going to be very treacherous. I think even for the people that plan on hooking up with a bunch of people and kind of going crazy, I still think there's going to be a lot of wariness involved with that and maybe a lot of judgment involved with that. You know, people saying like, oh, are you sure? Like, do you even know where that person's mouth has been? Like they could have COVID, you know? So I don't know. It's really hard to say, but I have, that's kind of my hypothesis, I guess. So has there been any word of when, you know, New York is going to open back up? It's been kind of inconclusive. Um, it's it's hard to say. I know, of course, it's the epicenter basically of where the highest amount of cases have been. Uh, you know, slowly they're kind of reopening businesses. I was saying earlier when this all began that I would go back to New York City once, you know, the hospitals weren't so overwhelmed. And once I have a few friends that work in the healthcare industry, they are nurses in the city and they've been there the whole time. And they've even said like, you know, we're still not at a place where it's very safe and it's June. So I don't know, (laughs) basically. Okay. Shout out to your friends though. I really appreciate them for being heroes and being on the front line. They are rock stars. Let's kind of shift gears because I know we're kind of going all over the place with this, but I (laughs) want to talk about Instagram aesthetics. Your Instagram aesthetic is so cool, dreamy, vintage. Like, what are your tips and tricks to getting a feed that looks like yours? Ooh, good question. I love my Instagram. I I mean, I just love, like, I've kind of shifted over the years because, of course, you want to create content that other people want to see, but you also are creating content for yourself. And I think a lot of people forget that. It, It can be fun to post content. You don't need to just post content that gets a ton of likes. And that's been a big adjustment for me because, of course, as an influencer, as just a person, I care about how many likes my pictures are getting, you know, and I don't know if I'll ever not care. Like it does definitely affect me if I really post an Instagram that I'm so I love, I'm so proud of. And it flops like that, of course, is not the best feeling. Mm -hmm. But I think I've definitely that'll always kind of be there. But my feelings as far as how much I, I just love the content I'm posting is just way more important to me than that. So I've been really focusing on maybe not posting myself in every photo. 
posting a picture of a book I'm reading or a place that I went that was beautiful and having my feed be kind of broken up like that, I think has really helped in terms of the aesthetic. Shifting as the seasons shift, I've definitely, I go towards, of course, a more warm aesthetic during the summer. I feel like it's kind of unintentional. I think I just kind of shift that way. Um, and most people do, but I, I use Tezza, the filter app um, created by the influencer. I just downloaded it's that. It's really great. I've used that probably for the last like four months or so of my feed. And it's really made a big difference. And I also, I mean that, but then I also just, when I'm capturing photos, I think about you know, the backdrop. I think, okay, will this color door that I'm standing in front of, or will this tree kind of match what I already have going on in the feed? So it's just being intentional about that too. But I think I've probably put less effort into like staging my photos recently. And I think it's really been paying off in terms of just people's reactions to them, but also just how they look. Yeah, it definitely gives a very authentic feel. Yes. Yeah. But I think what also helps is your style. Your style really, like, I, it really goes with the vibe that I feel like you're trying to portray. It gives yeah. me very, like, anthro, free people, like, kind of, like, Love Shack factor. I think that's what it is. Love yes, Shack? Love yes. Shack Fancy. Yes, I that's love, what it is. Did Shack you see they're having a collab with Target? Uh, yes, and I'm, like, very scared it's going to be sold out, like, the second I go on. <laughs> I, I know. Like, in my calendar. I've already been eyeing some of the pieces. Where yeah. are some of, like, your favorite places to shop or favorite places to get inspiration for your style? Yeah, I mean, Love Chuck Fancy is a huge one. I follow the founder, Beck, as well on Instagram. She posts amazing things. I really just love bohemian stuff. I feel like there's so many really expensive brands out there that I get a lot of inspiration from, but I ultimately shop more sustainably, more, you know, cheap, cheaper, honestly. Sleeper, Daily Sleeper on Instagram is a great brand as well. Just super. My big thing is just like, I love linens. I love, you know, just very kind of like throw on dresses that are just super like you don't have to have a full outfit kind of you know style that's just it kind of styles itself anything just billowy and loose and I feel like during quarantine I've been like appreciating my dresses even more because it just it's such a low effort very comfortable thing I, I don't you know I wear stretchy stuff and like you know my lululemon leggings and all that but I feel like it's nice just having something just loose like a you know, potato sack type dress. And yeah, I feel it's like very forgiving like. for the body. Yes, that's the word. <laughs> and that's what we need during the quarantine 15. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yep. Nothing tight is happening for a very long time. I was even thinking recently, now that it's getting warmer out and it's not going to be acceptable to just be wearing sweatpants all the time, I'm like, okay, what do I want my summer loungewear to be? Yeah. A dress, a dress is perfect. Yes. 100%. I feel like our conversation's been super career driven, which I'm kind of happy about because a lot of our listeners are college students who also I feel like are graduating and kind of are looking for that. They're looking for mm -hmm. that yeah. guidance. But yeah. we're going to get into something a little more raunchy. Okay. So great. this is our segment. <laughs> love it. I love how you said great. Like, you sound so excited. Um, <laughs> we're going to dive into hangover or get over. So because our name is The Moral Hangover, we thought, okay, hangovers are the things that just linger and don't leave. So this is kind of our take and our advice on these topics. So walk of shames in New York City. I feel like they are so prevalent. Whenever I visit my friends on, you know, on a Sunday morning at like 10 a.m. I'm going to get Nessie bagel. I see multiple walk of shames. Tell us about yeah. it and how to avoid them. So honestly, I'm shocked to hear that because I have never seen any others, but I've done them myself. And I'm always thinking <laughs> I'm the only one. That at least it gets caught or looks bad enough that like it's very clear. 
but <laughs> I mean, honestly, for me, I don't know. Cause a lot of times I'll kind of force the guy to come to my apartment because I don't want to do that. And I think ahead, but then also you can kick them out, which is so nice. See, I just, I'm such a proponent of bring them to your place. Of course, when you're comfortable with it, because living alone, like I live alone, that's basically saying, here's where I live. And some people, I don't want to know that. So it's very, I'm very calculated with it. I do have a doorman, which is very nice because I do feel safe, et cetera. But when I am walking, like it comes, you know, time to go to their apartment, you know, after a few dates and whatever, and I'm like leaving in the morning, I'm like, okay, I'm very strategic. I Uber, I get them to pick me up as close to the person's apartment as possible. And then, you know, to my front door and my doormen have seen me in all shapes and forms. It's kind of a joke. They just look at me and they're like, rough night. I'm like, mm-hmm. Mm. See, that so, makes me cringe inside. It really does. Uh, see, but I guess like at a certain point, you have to get over it. I mean, that's college. So I feel like I had enough experience with that. I should be fine. My doorman and I are in such a good, like we're on good terms. It gets to the point where they, you know, sit there all day and let in the DoorDash people. They need some entertainment, and I am happy to provide that for them. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. So you always Uber. Thank God for that, because the amount of people I see walking block to block, like you just can't be mm-hmm. doing that. It's a yeah. look, and it's not a look that we want because it's recognized. Maybe it's just like where I am, like my part of town. Like I don't, maybe Murray Hills, more of a place for that. I feel like there's a lot of younger kids in Murray Hill. I don't know. West Village is, I always feel like I'm the only one. (laughs) You know what's funny? I recently saw a TikTok and someone was doing a walk of shame and they passed their like really old neighbor and they're like, wow, you're so early. (laughs) Yeah. They didn't think anything of it. They just were like, wow, like you're up and ready so early. (laughs) Like I I genuinely think a lot more people are walk of shaming, but I just think they look okay to the point where I'm like, oh, that person's just out early in a nice outfit. (laughs) Exactly. I'm the brunch. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I'm just oblivious. I think that's so funny. You say you don't live with anyone, but when you first moved to New York, did you have any roommates? No, no, I've lived alone. I mean, I I lived with roommates in college, of course. I had like a house. I lived with my sorority sisters, like my friends that I'm still really close with right now. And for whatever reason, I just kind of like, there was nothing wrong with that situation. I just, because of what I do as a content creator, I felt like I was always the one making messes, you know? And I'm like, I'm like organized, but with like what I do creatively I'm constantly like spreading out my tripod and all my stuff and like I just felt like I was taking over our space always and I got to the point where I was like maybe post-grad I should live alone for that reason and honestly it was the best decision I made my first apartment was in Hell's Kitchen and I had a kind of a mouse problem like a real mouse problem and it was definitely not the best part of town to be in maybe some people have better luck than me for sure but like you know I since kind of regrouped and I live in the West Village now I've had no knock on wood problems with critters um and like yeah I mean living alone has been something where I just kind of knew it was for me it's not for everyone financially and just kind of sanity wise like of course there are times where I feel like I need to be with other people 
I'm someone who lives alone too. And that was such a tough decision. Like after college, I'm like, I'm scared of the dark. I'm like, how the hell am I about to live alone? <laughs> for, so like, for someone who's just graduated or maybe they're thinking of moving somewhere, what is your recommendation for, let's say they can't find a roommate because that's a real thing. And then you panic mm-hmm. and you're like, well, yeah. I can't live alone. That's embarrassing, but it's not. So like, what is your advice for someone that's like in that position? Yeah. So, I mean, of course I think it really depends on the person. Some people are fully okay living alone, even if you have a little bit of anxiety about it. Like, believe me, it does. I mean, even for someone who's fully comfortable now living alone, of course I had doubts in the beginning. It's definitely something that you get used to and you kind of appreciate sometimes just when you can have some full on peace and quiet. But I think if you're looking, if you want a roommate and you just can't really figure it out, definitely lean into your connections, you know, ask your parents to ask around and like just anyone, because there's always people that are in your shoes that are perfectly normal people like, you know, that just need a roommate. And I think you can find someone through your connections. I think you should try that first. And then if that doesn't really work out and there's no one really available, you can try the apps. Like there's roommate apps that my friends have used that work perfectly fine and are great. I think a lot of people are scared about the concept of, of living alone, especially in a city as a woman. Um, but I've had no problems with it to date. So I mean, yeah, of course, there's like, like little things, up. but yeah. Sign me up for that. I was having like nightmares before it. I was like, I cannot do it. There's these many ways someone can break in and kill me. But you know what? Mm-hmm. I did it. And like after I survived the first night, I was like, wait, I might like this. <laughs> And you become so, what's the word? I guess just self-sufficient. You realize like things about yourself that you didn't know before. You have to go through some like situations where you're like, wow, this is like really growing me as a person. Like, you know, going through this and being able to support myself, like that's really huge. You you become proud of yourself, I think. Completely. Speaking Mm -hmm. of being proud of yourself, you mentioned earlier how you're able to successfully get drinks from guys. What is, <laughs> what are your tips? What because you know this is there's an art to yeah. it. There's an art oh, to yeah, this of how to you know ditch them gracefully while still getting the drink and not having to pay. Oh yeah, it's definitely become one of those things where it's different every time. Slash like you know you have to kind of feed off people's energies. But I have I, I've kind of found that like sometimes if you just go up to the bar with, you know, you or your friends and you're you just I mean, of course, confidence is key. You know, that's very important. But I think even just going up and being like, oh, what you drinking? <laughs> that's worked for me before. You just ask them or like, oh, like what's the like if someone's taking shots, like what's the occasion? Just like ask me a question that will throw them a little off guard. And they're like, wait, what? Why are you talking to me? Because honestly, you'd be surprised. Like, of course, in the movies, in Sex and the City, there's guys just constantly coming up to girls. That does not happen in New York with normal guys, I'd say. Not to be mean. But like some people, you know, there's the guys that are just like somehow super confident. And you're just really, they're either just like very forward to the point where you're uncomfortable or like just very, I don't know. But a lot of times, like the guy you want to walk up to you and talk to you probably will not like if you walk in a bar and you see a guy and you're like whoa like I want him to talk to me the chances are he's gonna do that is, is pretty low like guys in New York they're kind of nervous I think I mean I I don't know Everyone's I think it's nervous. the ego I think it's like the east yeah. coast or maybe you know maybe it's the ego you kind of have to go up to them and talk to them or it's not gonna happen you know maybe they have a girlfriend already maybe that whatever but like you literally the chances you're gonna see that person again 
are very, very slim. You're not in college anymore. It's not that you're going to see the next the guy on campus the next day. It's a very big city. You're, I mean, of course, it, it becomes small in certain instances, and you're like, oh my god, like you're, you start dating someone your friend went on a date with, like that you didn't even know. Like, of course, that happens. But I think it's all about shooting your shot. I found I've become pretty good at it. My friends are always like, Katie, you should go talk to that guy because you've had the most luck. And I don't even think it's because it's not even like a, a matter of like how good you look or how pretty you are or whatever. It's literally confident. That what about a matter so... of cleavage? Does that, that play into it? But I find it's just like having the courage and the audacity to talk to someone. Like sometimes they're like, wow, that's very intimidating, but also awesome. And like, I want to be around that person. I don't know. That's what I found. Yeah, I think you're right. Because I was at a bar a few, well, like, oh my God, I guess months ago, months ago, months ago, <laughs> months ago, I guess. But it felt like the last time I was at a bar, there was a professional athlete there. And I have a boyfriend. So I had no interest in like, wanting to do anything. But I was like, I want to talk to him. And I want to get him with one of my friends. So I just had so much confidence. There was no cleavage, no nothing. I literally just like looked at him, went up to him. And he started talking to me. Yeah. And it's like, confidence is key and I literally looked so bad that day that I just had so much confidence because yeah. I did not care and yeah I don't know I'm still shook from the experience but I was like wow just from my confidence yeah so true I think I was wearing like a turtleneck I'm just cringing more and more as I hear this story Vic <laughs> <laughs> but I'm happy it worked for you so to kind of wrap up Katie what's your power move like how did you get to where you are in your 20s, what's kind of your advice to your path of success? I have so many tips, like so many things I could say. Um, that's why everyone should listen to my podcast because I give them every week. But I would say just like top line, like my biggest, the biggest thing that I've really had to learn in New York, which I would say is when my life kind of began. Like, of course, I was kind of living my life doing all the things I thought I was supposed to do. And when I, I think the most pivotal moment for me was when I decided to quit my corporate job, aka leave the dream job that all my friends were jealous of slash everyone was like, well, how did you get that job? Like obsessed with it. And I left it. Like, I think that was a very big pivotal moment for me. And I don't think I would have gotten to that point if I didn't learn that, you know, a lot of times in life, people are not going to do things for you. I mean, actually, most of the times in life, like you can't just sit back and like, call your mom when things go wrong every single time and have her, her fix it. Or like, you know, it's like you, at some point, you have to stop being a spectator in your life. You have to fully make decisions for yourself because, and even hard decisions and things that maybe aren't typical. Like, of course, it's, you know, kind of a blueprint of our lives to, you know, go to elementary school, then middle school, then high school, then college, you know, don't not go to college because you need a degree to get any job and then get a four, you know, get a job and be there for 30 years and retire. And that's it. Like, you know, and I just think that there are a lot more options than we think we have, especially many of us are so more, much more privileged than we know. And I think at some point you got to stop watching your life go by while you're living it. Sometimes it even felt like I was not even making my own decisions in how I was living. It was just kind of happening to me. And I decided, you know, back in November when I quit my corporate job, that, that the first step in taking my life back was making a hard decision that no one else could make for me. It was very clear that, you know, the path to my happiness was going to be not at this corporate job, no matter how much of a dream job it is for other people. 
And you have to make hard decisions that you will thank yourself for later on. So I think that's just in a nutshell what I would tell people. I want to slow clap for you so badly, but I know that won't, <laughs> that won't sound right on the mic. But I think what Vic and I have learned through our first year in postgrad is you have to take charge of whatever you want because you're so right. Mm-hmm. No one's just going to like hand you something or fix the issue. You actually have yes. to go and do it. And excuse mm-hmm. my French, I guess you got to grow the balls and take it, you know, take the bull by the horn and do it. Yeah, it's 100%. true. And it's, it's uncomfortable. It means you're going to have some awkward conversations and it sucks, but it's, it's how it goes. I think. Well, Katie, thank you so much for coming on today and making the time for us. Where can everyone follow you on social? Uh, okay. I mean, honestly, you can just search my first and last name anywhere. Katie Bellotti will help you um, find me anywhere. And Thick and Thin is my podcast on YouTube. Hello, Katie is my username, but you can also find me just typing in my first and last name. Katie like Katy Perry, Bellotti like Pilates. Um, that's really it. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on again. We are so honored to be talking to you. And everyone listen to The Moral Hangover next week. And we'll talk to you then. Bye.